The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, while we're all settling in, um, a few announcements. Um, unfortunately, Robert will not be with us today. Robert is ill. Oh, I hope. Yes, we'll have to we'll have to uh, forge on without him. Um, and um, there are some new people here, uh, and I just want to mention a couple of things. Um, one is we also have small groups. Uh, that, that meet um, groups of six or seven, five sometimes, four sometimes. So, and they're, they're wonderful. Uh, people really get close and, and open their hearts to each other, and it's a great way to um, share the Dharma and share our lives with each other. So if you'd like to be part of a small group, please you know, write to the website, to the IMC Senior Sangha website, to Fiona, and she'll, we'll get you included in, in a group. I'm sure we can fit whatever time works for you. Um, what else? So uh, if, also let us know how, uh, if there's anything you would like us to do more of that we're not doing, or do less of that we are doing, you know, just just help us to to do this. We we would love to hear hear your feedback. Okay. So um, I want to talk today a little bit about impermanence. Um, the Satipatthana Sutra which is kind of like the Bible for Vipassana. It teaches us all about mindfulness, how to be, how to be mindful and how, excuse me, and that these practices of mindfulness, it makes a huge, great promise uh, to us. If, if you would just practice mindfulness, uh, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of all grief and sorrow, for attaining the true way, for attaining nirvana. The four sadipatanas, the, the mindfulness practice, awareness practice. However, simple mindfulness is not enough. <clears throat> mindfulness is taught everywhere now. It's taught in the army. It's taught in corporations. It's taught to policemen. It's taught everywhere. But, it, you know, how to be more mindful, to be more effective, to be um, more skillful. But the kind of mindfulness that we're interested in is the mindfulness that leads to our liberation, to our freedom, 
to our happiness, to our well-being, how this mindfulness can help us be more free. And the Buddha said the kind of mindfulness that helps us be liberated is mindfulness of impermanence, mindfulness of change. He said that if you, um, that just one moment of mindfulness of change is more valuable, more beneficial to us than lifetimes spent practicing loving kindness, lifetimes practicing sila or ethics. That's how important he thought mindfulness was. I mean, uh, 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 mindfulness of impermanence is. He compared uh, this kind of contemplation of impermanence to the lion's paw in the jungle, that all other contemplations, all other paws of all other animals can fit into that paw. So mindfulness of impermanence is investigation of what's happening. It's, it's, it's um, curious, what's, what's going on here? Investigation. And investigation is another word for wisdom. This is how we accumulate wisdom. And wisdom leads to liberation. Someone asked Suzuki Roshi, who'd been coming to his lectures for many, many years, many lectures, and he just asked Suzuki Roshi, can you just sum sum up your teachings in one phrase? And Suzuki Roshi smiled at him and he said, everything changes. So, In a way, this is so obvious, isn't it? I mean, look at the weather outside. There's no smoke in the air today. The skies are clear. The weather changes every day, and then the weather changes with the seasons, and the trees get are beautiful now. They're green now, but they'll soon be orange, and soon the branches will be bare on some trees. If we can see the transiency of life, it can decondition us to grasping and clinging. You see that connection? Seeing transiency, seeing how things come and go, come and go, come and go. The Buddha also said there is nothing in this life that is worth clinging to. Nothing in this life that's worth worrying about. Has an object, has any object ever been fulfilling to you? But what can be extremely fulfilling 
is the well-being and the happiness that comes from being aware of the coming and going and coming and going. It's always happening. Objects do not fulfill. Think of, about all the objects, including people in this, all through your life that you've tried to hold onto and that you've had to let go of. Back when you were um, a child, where's that bike now that was so important to you, that doll? Or that friend that you wanted so much in grade school? Or that group that you wanted to be so much a part of in junior high school? Where are they now? Where are all these people that we clung to? All these successes that we were so excited about and failures that we were so afraid of. Think back on the epic. We all have, we all have these epic lives. You could all write a story about your life and it would be an epic. Some people do write down their epics and they're very exciting and wonderful, but your life is an epic too. The epic of your middle years, the hopes and fears of your middle years. What was so important to you then? And where is it now? And now we're in this stage of our lives. And looking back, when we see the transiency, the comings and goings of all of these objects of our longing and fears and how they've come and gone. And we look to the future of what we might long for today, tomorrow, whenever, or fear in the future. Realizing, putting it in perspective, how the past objects have just come and gone like bubbles. Maybe that can reduce the hopes and the fears of future objects. They're just going to be ephemeral too. They're going to come and go too. Maybe something yesterday And then the most obvious level, a 
of impermanence is we see people all around us get sick and die. So we see this very clearly. People, my mom, my dad, my aunts, they died. I'm sure you have so many people that you know that have that have died. But we don't really take this in for ourselves. It's remarkable. We're all elders here. But how many of us really, really know that we're going to die? Yet how freeing, if we could take that fact in, how freeing that would be of our grasping at all that we, it's all going to just, you know, all of our wealth, all of our relationships, all of our um, status, all of the things that we think are so important are going to disappear pretty soon. How freeing it would be if we could live with this insight of the trajectory of our own lives. So, um, this is what I'm describing could be called coarse impermanence. And there's also subtle impermanence. So maybe we could do an experiment in meditation and check out subtle impermanence for ourselves. And keep in mind, the Buddha said, in seeing impermanence, the mind does not cling. When the mind does not cling, the mind is not agitated. When the mind is not agitated, it achieves nirvana. So let's try this for ourselves and see if there's anything to this idea about really paying attention to impermanence. And seeing if it can help us relieve our grasping, relieve our clinging. So, um, shall we meditate then for a little while? So if you could assume a uh, an alert posture with your Spine loosely straight. And gently close your eyes. And relax. Stay in a relaxed mind. 
and gently be aware of your body. Unhook from your thinking mind that all worries and concerns that you may have, let them go. Just for now, let them go and come into your heart, come into your body, relax your shoulders. Relax your heart and all the emotions that are around the heart. And relax the breathing. Maybe taking a breath, deep breath in. And on the exhale, just relax completely. And you might notice something about change that's happening in your body. Relaxing the arms and the hands. (coughs) And noticing pulsations in the hands. in the palms. Noticing the breath constantly rising and falling. This body is in constant change. changing of hearing. Listen to this bell. The vibrations of the bell keep changing and the sound keeps changing. Stay in a relaxed mind and gently being aware of this body. Pulsations, movements, Even light changes behind your eyes. We think that we're present for this second, perhaps, 
But this second has become the last second. And the future segment second keeps coming. So where is this second? Dissolving into the past, entering into the future, constantly in flux. There's not even a microsecond. Because there was a microsecond that this microsecond disappears into and a microsecond that is beckoning for it to come. Scientists have discovered an, what they call an atta-second, one billionth of a second. There's no real present moment. Just change. If there was a book of 3,000 pages and we hammered a sharp needle through all the 3,000 pages, when would that needle reach the 81st page? It's immediately in page 82, 83, 84, 85. It's said that you can't cross the same river twice. Because the river keeps changing. The river of our living experience keeps changing. Seeing impermanence, the mind does not cling. When the mind does not cling, the mind is not agitated. When the mind is not agitated, it achieves nirvana. Maybe not nirvana, but maybe the vicinity nirvana is there some well-being here some okayness If there is, connect with that well-being. 
this isn't a physical feeling or even an emotional feeling. It's deeper than that. Letting go of clinging, being with impermanence, being with awareness. This place of non-clinging is our home. It's happiness. It's our birthright. No purpose. No gain, no loss, no success, no failure. No grasping, no fearing, just aware of change. Continue to relax and allow this. Thoughts come. It's what our brain does. It thinks. Suzuki Roshi said, leave your front door open for thoughts to enter and the back door open for thoughts to leave. Just don't serve them tea. Spacious mind, relaxed mind, impermanence happening constantly. Okay. You can open your eyes whenever you're ready. You know, this feeling of freedom is no stranger to us. It's, um, it's something we feel all the time. We have many moments of freedom all day long. But we just don't notice it.
the Buddha described a freedom that we feel by uh, with an allegory of a of a prisoner who's been released from jail. Just freedom. The freedom of uh, if you've had to go to the bathroom really bad and you couldn't, something was, you know, you couldn't go, something was keeping you there, a meeting or you were with some people. And you finally went to the bathroom. And then you were so free after that. You just got up and you were so free. What a relief. So many freedoms as we go about our lives. So many riches. We just don't notice them as much as we can. So, noticing Noticing change, noticing how futile attachments and clinging to things are, to people and events that are continually arising and passing, arising and passing. Maybe we can reorient a little bit the pain of our holding on to the ease and happiness and the freedom of letting go. And the freedom of really accepting this, calmly accepting this this obvious truth that we're going to die, that our loved ones are going to die, that everybody in this group can give us so much freedom, so many, so much freedom from the illusions that we, we grasp onto. That we think are so important, but are just ephemeral bubbles. So I'd like us to split up into little groups now and discuss this. Um, I had a couple of questions, but also feel free just to discuss where you are these days with all the changes that are going on in your life. Um, Trying to recall my questions. Um, One is... Can the, let's see, Chris, do you remember, or do you have them someplace, my questions? Yes, I do. Uh, how does making friends with the truth of impermanence bring you more freedom and happiness? And the second one is, seeing this truth, what is the most important thing for you to do while you are still here? So I'll put those in the chat box so you can yeah. have access to them. Great. So yeah, so while we're still here, we're in the uh, 
the last stage of our life right now. What's the most important thing for you now? I had a friend. Uh, he was a priest at the Zen Center, and he'd been living there. He'd been a resident, semi-monastic, if not monastic, for 50-some years. So he'd been practicing a lot meditating every day, going to services every day, listening to teachings all the time. So I, I visited him before he died. He was dying at the Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco. And when he saw me, he just looked at me and he very, he immediately said, David, practice. Practice awareness, he said. I didn't practice enough. <laughs> and I, I think he wasn't saying that like out of shame or guilt. It was more like for this journey for him ahead into groundlessness where there really is nothing to grasp, nothing to cling to, not even a body. Was he ready for this journey? into groundlessness. So now that we're still here, what is important? What would you like to do with your life now that you're still here? That was one of the questions. You might imagine if you were going to die tomorrow at 5 p.m., what would be the most important thing for you between now and 5 p.m. tomorrow? And then after your first answer to yourself, reconsider again. And then the other question was, when you see impermanence, can you... Can, can, this re, can, can you imagine how this could reduce your clinging, your grasping, and bring you less agitation in your life when you really accept, see it and accept the truth of impermanence? Can it lessen your agitation and bring you to freedom, bring you more freedom, bring you more happiness, bring you more ease in your life? Okay. So let's take um, maybe 15 minutes for this. So please enjoy your discussions. You're all coming back. Picture, 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 all appearing. Great. Hi, Carla. Can't hear you, Carla. Okay. I just need to let you know that I'm going, I, I recently went through a treatment with my eye having to do with a pre-glaucoma and I had to do a laser thing. So I can't, I can't be on the screen for much longer. Okay. It was just two or three days ago that I had a procedure done in my eyes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, this impermanence kind of fits into what I'm dealing with. <laughs> yes. Okay. 
So has anybody thought about Genghis Khan today? Not really. <laughs> Genghis Khan was so important. Genghis Khan lived about a thousand years ago, I think, and, and he conquered the world that he knew. It was, I guess it was conquered all of Asia. Great, a great conqueror. He made Trump look like a punk. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure horribly cruel and, you know, just, um, but where's Genghis Khan? <laughs> So um, I'd love to hear, we would all love to hear, all of us would love to hear you share your, some of your, uh, some of your reflections. What's important for you now? And or do you find this contemplation can kind of calms you down and gets you feeling less agitated and more into a feeling of well-being, of just being here, just being here without worrying, without being agitated about the future, about the past that doesn't really exist. So please uh, unmute yourself and, and uh, as you wish and just let us share, please share with us your reflections. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. In our group, um, I just stated that for me personally, <clears throat> excuse me, personally, that's very difficult. I know that I, I do have to, I have problems with clinging, and that's something that I am working on. And for me, it's, I, I can't really comprehend the finality that you know, you're talking about like the, the real end of life. I can't imagine. So I think the thing is, um, is to practice meditating and be comfortable in the moment and be peaceful. <clears throat> Great. Thank you. Good advice. <laughs> I think also that it will be more important at the last moments when it's really real to really be able to meditate and, uh, and feel a sense of peace more immediately close to the time, if, if we are lucky enough to know that. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Does that absolutely, make sense? Absolutely. Rather and, than doing and, it now. And, and, you're developing, you're, and you're developing your awareness muscle. Now, you know, you're developing 
what doesn't cling right now, because that's what we do in meditation. We are aware and we sense this just through our awareness. We sense this well-being that's beyond normal happiness. Just something very deep within us that is our true nature. We sense that and that's something that is beyond time, beyond clinging. To develop that sense of well-being, to develop awareness. Yes, great. Someone else, please. Um, it's Anne here in Dublin in Ireland. Um, Gil was giving a, a meditation this morning and all this week on the breath. And today it was about impermanence on the breath. And um, I actually found it quite profound. And just observing all the little aspects of in and out. And then it occurred to me that, oh, actually, if I'm lucky enough to be aware or up to the moment when I lose awareness, that breath that's been there with me since I was born will be there when I die or just before I die. And actually, that kind of makes me feel less alone. I know that probably sounds weird, but it, but it feels very comforting. Yes. And I'm not as um, far along as you are, David. So I don't go. I don't feel kind of happy a lot of the time. But but I I um, definitely found a significant amount of peace in that bodily sensation earlier today, which has sustained through this. So, for what it's worth, there you go. Well, that that is happiness. You know, it's it's not an emotional happiness. It's, it's a deeper, deeper than an emotional happiness or a physical feeling. It's the deep, the depths of peace that we can access. And you'll also not only have your, you may not have your breath at some point, but you'll have your awareness when your breath is gone still. Maybe you'll have some awareness. If you're lucky. Yeah. But you will still have awareness up until you don't have awareness, which is kind of useful too. Yeah. Who knows? Nobody's come back and told us. <laughs> Great, thank you. Back in Ireland. Good to see you again. Ireland, wow. Someone else, please? I'll go. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Good. Um, my sister died three days ago, and uh, um, I remember talking to her husband, who knew that she was going, and the hospice nurse would not let him, she was in a facility that was locked down, and he wanted to see through the window, and she would not allow that. She felt it would be too discomforting. And I thought about that at, that at that time when you are on your deathbed, where are you? 
but the hospice nurse really felt that things had to be quiet and that it would have been upsetting for her to see familiar places at this time. So now I kind of understand it a little better because you're making a transition and maybe the peacefulness is to, is to have as few distractions at that time as possible. Yeah, I was a, I've been a hospice chaplain for many years and I, I can, I, people are, they go deep inside and, and they're, they're navigating, they're navigating a, the most difficult journey they've ever been on. So yes. It, uh-huh. Yeah. Hard on the family though because you want to be with them at that moment, hold their hand. I don't know what's, um, what is appropriate. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that, not letting the family hold his hand or her hand. But, uh, just, it's, it seems to me um, that that's a good, that it's a good time right now while we're talking to mention the five, five wishes. Um, yeah. If you haven't done for yourself the five wishes, which goes over a, a list of what you want when you're dying, the kind of care you want, what you want from other people and so forth. Because mm-hmm. if that's available, if you have, and the five wishes go to the people you love and the people that you at the hospital and so forth. And, you know, if, if, if her husband had had that document and sit on, and the woman had sit on there, your sister had sit on there, I want my husband holding my hand when I go, that would be written down and that would be respected. But a lot of times people have no idea what someone wants in the moment of their death or the, during the time that they are dying. So mm-hmm. it's highly recommended mm-hmm. to fill out a form like that. And it's an advanced directive, but the five wishes is one that gets very specific and uh, talks about how, what kind of invi- how you want it to be for you, your care beyond just tubes and things like that. So. I had five wishes done a long time ago, too. But I think this is an awful time to um, cross over because the coronavirus. Your loved ones cannot be close to you. You you want your loved ones to be close by when you take your last breath. But you're not. they're not allowed to at this time. So five wishes is the first step. But that's why I'd rather not to die at this time during the virus time. So if people are interested in this, and thank you, Val, and, and thank you, Helen, um, that uh, uh, you, can, or you can access that online and order it online, the five wishes, advanced directive. One thing that many hospice nurses are doing, though, is um, allowing, you know, like, for instance, Zoom or uh, FaceTime with um, such that people could at least perhaps hear something. Maybe they wouldn't be able to see anymore, but supposedly um, the sense of, hearing is the last sense to go or one of the last senses to go. And so you 
there is an opportunity to, you know, have them just hold a phone next to the ear of the person who's dying and um, be able to share what you want to. So, you know, the, these, these, um, this, these contemplations, what, do, do, do these bring you some freedoms? Do they bring you some riches, these contemplations? Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that helps me or gives me more ease with impermanence, I think, is, um, is the awareness that the way things look right now is, is not all there is. <laughs> uh, that there, I mean, so many moments in time when, when we, even as bodies, we look different. Um, and, and, and it helps me not to get, not to cling so much to, to one particular um, manifestation of um, this person or, or indeed the, the whole. Um, the, you know, the, the sense that everything is changing all the time um, brings me more into an, uh, the sense that we are all a, a one whole. Um, and uh, how any part looks in any moment is, is a way that we can appreciate um, and, and cherish as um, as a manifestation of the whole. And I know I'm being vague, um, but um, but there's a looseness and kind of like the the ocean with all its waves. Um, one wave can disappear, and then and then there'll be an, another one, or maybe it'll look different. Um, and and yet and yet we're all one being, and that's that's what I'd like to realize before I die. <laughs> the second part of your question, David, that yeah. what I would consider most important before I die is just to understand this more and more, yeah. um, before, the most I can before I. Die. It kind of. I could make sure. Gail finished. Yes. So I finished. I just um, was reminded of some essence and form. The there is essence that, and then there is form, the material. And so I think the essence connects and is a whole and love. And the form can show up in any different ways. Yeah. So that's form and essence and form is what came to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever, <laughs> however you want <laughs> to perceive it. <laughs> yeah, when Gail was talking. Waves in the ocean. The ocean yeah. and the waves, yes. <laughs> Empty phenomenon rolling along. What I was thinking when during the meeting is that when I think about what I would like in my last 10 hours or 12 hours, 
<clears throat> After I said it, it became obvious to me that that's what I would love when I that's what I want right now. Hmm. And um, and, and, and you know that's heck with those last twelve hours. I, I that's how I want to live in this hour. Yeah. And um, and that that is less important to me than this is. That's the point. <laughs> Surprise. And, what, and, and tell, tell us more about this. What you know? What you want right now? What I really, what I said, what I wanted in my last ten hours was to be near my loved ones. Um, but then, what I didn't say, but what occurred to me after I said that was that I would want to be at peace. I think that's maybe more important because that covers the COVID thing. And um, and that's what I want right now. And that's why, you know, um, I'm so appreciative of what I did say in the group, which was that I now look forward to meditating. A day doesn't go by when I don't do it. I, it's, I've gone from making the commitment to not the, to having it just be. It just is part of my day. It is part of my existence. And um, very appreciative for that transition. Thank you so much. Beautiful. So you make a case that at your for wanting to be alone and uninterrupted during those last moments to be at peace with yourself rather than have being surrounded by your family. No, this that's very, not what I was saying, actually. Um, I don't think there's a conflict between both having both. Uh-huh. But I think it might be more, more important to be at peace, which I don't think I, I ever said before this minute, this very minute. I agree with you. You want to be at peace, absolutely. However, that presents itself. Right. Yeah. As a, a former hospice, uh, Zen hospice person, um, I was often amazed at how, you know, it, it is all so individual, how you want to go, who you want around you. But many, many times, um, people who were just hanging on and you wondered, um, you know, it seemed like <laughs> there wasn't any consciousness there or very little anymore, but still they, they just lingered on. And then um, often it would be when uh, the family would leave the room that they would let go. So I think... You know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be um, alone. And and I do think, I, I agree with what you were just saying about the peace. Peace, I think, is, is important. Yeah. I, this may be semantics or something, but I struggle with the form of this question. Um, what's the most important thing to do? 
because it's it's a kind of a striving form of question and uh, creates a a burden almost or a measurement on are we doing what's most important and I think I would like to even let go of that kind of requirement and I know people are expressing how they want their last day to be that's a form of wanting I mean wanting your day to be like that is still wanting and attachment and clinging and I, I understand that the exercise of thinking about that now and being able to, I don't want to call it making plans, but being familiar and close and taking responsibility for, for that last day could be a valuable exercise, but there's still, the way we're phrasing it, it's still a wanting and not a letting go. Mm. And by the way, both of my parents did what you just described. We had been in the room with them for days on end, and the minute we step, both step out, poof, they're gone. Not unusual. <laughs> okay, maybe one more. Catherine, These are wonderful, much much wisdom always comes out of this group because you know, we're we're pretty old, you know, and we've had a lot of life experience and a lot of dharma experience. So it's just amazing we're all giving these little dharma talks to each other. <laughs> Catherine, you need to unmute yourself. What? Me? Well, Catherine's waving. No, Catherine was waving. And okay, thank you. Can you hear me? Okay, yes. I was waiting for you to unmute me to call on me, I guess. Anyway, this is, this is a question for David and for those who have worked in hospice. <clears throat> what did the actual person say to you that they wanted, if anything? What were their last requests? Were they asking to be with family? Or they were they just trying to strive for inner peace? Well, um, it's, it's heavy work. Dying is heavy work. So, so toward the end, they're very involved with their journey, their inner journey. But be before that, it's, you know, they like to be with family. They like to have someone holding their hand, a dear one. Okay, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you all so much for your... Uh, your wisdom and your participation. Um, let's take a 10 minute break now, and then uh, we'll come back and we will hear, um, so fortunate that Fiona is willing to share with us today. Okay. Okay. See you in 10 minutes. Bye. <clears throat> Whenever you're ready, Fiona, I think it's okay. Oh, are we back? Okay. Not everyone, but they'll come back. Um, 
And I think probably they should be muted except for me. I can hear some background noise for somebody there. I don't know who can do that. Does Chris do that as host? He's doing it, yeah. Fiona, you have to unmute. Got it. Okay. So, um, well, I um, just want to say to you all, I uh, uh, your sharing was just uh, so touching, and uh, David's talk, um, and uh, so. I will just share you my journey. I had an adventure yesterday. Um, and I have thought this week, you know, been filled with so much Dharma teachings. Uh, it's almost my cup is overflowing. But I really feel I want to respond to sort of the, the theme of what we've been talking about in particular. Um, inconstancy and permanence and um, the preciousness of this moment in our life. And um, I wonder what came to mind. I'd like to just, I've been saving um, quotes that come to me on Insight Timer. There's so much wisdom on this little app that I use every morning during my sitting. Uh, about the heart. It's not a Buddhist teacher. It's a, but it's very close here. Um, so, unlike the emotional heart, the spiritual heart has no boundaries, has no limitations, it has no preferences, and it has no egoic judgments. While we can lose consciousness of the spiritual heart, the spiritual heart never closes, never was, never is wounded. Its light can seem to be obscured by our turning away from it, but it actually never leaves us because it is an intimate aspect of our true being. It's here and it's now and always and already present whenever we turn back towards it. That's the Ajashanti. So, this week um, is an anniversary in my life um, of uh, my mother's death and my would have been my wedding anniversary and my husband's death, all within a few days of each other. And uh, last year, on the first anniversary of my husband's death, I was able to be up in the mountains in this glorious, beautiful cathedral of the mountains, just wildflowers and sky and clarity and... Uh, 
could be there. I took my mother's ashes, took some of my husband's ashes and found little nooks and crannies in the wildflowers. This year, very different. This new, this life that we've been traveling these last few months of being at home and then with the terrible fires that we have had here in the Bay Area. Um, So on these anniversaries, it was way too smoky, way too uninviting to be out in nature until yesterday. I, uh, I saw the wind had cleared a little bit up in um, north of San Francisco. And I drove up, not knowing what I would find, but I was going up to the cemetery where my husband's ashes are buried. I didn't want to compare. You know, it was just a different day different anniversary and uh, it was blustery and cold and the fog was coming in and I I thought you know oh good for the fires and wow (laughs) bundle up and get out in the out in the fields of the cemetery and I spent time at my husband's grave and then just started to walk. This is a green cemetery and it's not your classic cemetery. It's just stones here and there, uh, all different, all engraved mostly. Um, And beautifully, these messages of love, that's what I felt. Just love and preciousness of this life. And um, it was like this message of uh, everything is held in love. Right near my husband's uh, stone, I was walking and I saw a boulder and had blue on it. And I, I walked over to it, swept the, the leaves away. And some of you who've been around IMC a long time may remember Shanti Sule. She cooked for retreats. And it was Shanti's stone. With this beautiful blue Buddha inscribed. Uh, I felt like I was being held by the Sangha there and her gifts of wonderful food, meals for us during so many retreats. And um, I took the dog could run. It was wonderful. He was delighted 
And we walked up to a field where there's also graves, but way far away. Uh, you have to go over creeks, and but it's a little part of the cemetery. Very quiet. And there was a few stones there. I sat in a little bit of sun out of the wind. Watched the dog play. And I looked behind me. There was a stone engraved. Small stone. I took a picture of it. I don't know if it'll come through. I'm going to hold it up. <laughs> I probably won't. Anyway, it, it said Lila Emma Tracy. And the dates were April 9th, 2007 to January 19th, 2008. Nine months. And what was engraved on the stone, reminding us life is short, live every moment. And I felt um, the love, the love of her parents and this message to all of us. This is so precious. Every breath. Every breath. As I was walking back to my husband's grave site, they're building a retaining wall, quite beautiful stones. There in the wall, one stone was heart-shaped and someone had painted it red. It stands out from this whole wall, this beautiful heart. Um, I'm going to tell a story on David. (laughs) Many years ago at IMC, we had a contemplating end-of-life workshop, and one of the exercises was you wrote down on three-by-five cards all the things that were so important in your life. I think you got 16 cards. What did you love? What was important? So you had your little stack of cards. And then, I think it was Jennifer Block, she said, okay, now you've got to give away four of those cards. What could you give away? So you put some out in the circle, you know. And then she went around again. Okay, now you give away some four more. Okay, what can I give away? And then David was helping with the class. And he went around the circle and he started taking cards. You didn't have a choice now. Cards were being taken away. And David came to me and took, I think there was, you know, 
five or six cards left. He took all my cards away but one. And at the time, I mean, it was, it was my dog and my husband. I mean, he didn't know what cards he was taking. It was every one I loved. And I burst into tears. <laughs> Poor David. What was left to me was the garden. And I've thought of that over the years. What, what is the garden to me? And it is this place that I can nurture, but I can't control. I plant things rise. There's beauty. Things die. They dry up. The heat comes. The bugs come. It's this nurturing, this whole cycle of life. Enjoying the beauty when it arises and just accepting when things change. I was driving home. I, David had called and said that Robert was not well and uh, things would be changing today. So I drove home through the fog, blustery over the over the bridge and I kept thinking all this change and inconstancy and I was driving through the Presidio there was a car in front of me sort of pushing because there was two bicyclists in the road slowing everybody down and I thought oh no need to hurry just drive behind the bicyclists and I looked out, I could see the beauty of uh, the Golden Gate because I wasn't going fast. And the cyclist slowed down right at this bluff. There was a man in the wind and the fog. He had sat down on the bluff, set out a table next to him with a tablecloth, a bottle of wine, a vase of flowers and he was looking out over this view and talking to some people and I thought if I had been driving on my schedule I would not have seen this if I had not slowed down and I appreciate this practice really Remembering to turn back to this moment and this breath. Even now in this stage of life with all of, with everything, with everything. And if it's okay, I can just share this, another quote from Insight Timer on non-attachment. This is from um, a Tibetan teacher. Imagine craving absolutely nothing from the world. Imagine cutting the invisible strings that so painfully bind us. What would that be like? 
Imagine the freedoms that come from the ability to enjoy things without having to acquire them, own them, possess them. Try to envision a relationship based on acceptance and genuine care rather than expectation. Imagine feeling completely satisfied and content with your life just as it is. Who wouldn't want this? This is the enjoyment of non-attachment. So just thank you so much for letting me share. Uh, Maybe we can sit quietly and um, I would very much like us to all hold all of us in our kindest regards and for those who have been so deeply impacted by these fires, by their homes, the creatures that have lived in these forests, by everyone who has had to be displaced. May they, may we all hold our hearts with love and acceptance and kindness and openness. Anicca vata sankara upadava itamino upakitava niruchanti desa upasambo sukho All things are impermanent. They arise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you all.
We have a few more moments left between us, among us, um, after that beautiful and moving. Offering by Fiona. I'm wondering if anyone is feeling moved to offer something themselves. Something that's been moved in you that you'd like to share. If you'd like to, please just go ahead and unmute yourself and share with us. <clears throat> I'd just like to share um, Fiona's speaking made me think again about what the fires are doing to nature all around me. And um, so it's the homes and the animals and it's the big, beautiful redwoods and the state park, big, uh, big, big basin and other areas out here. And when we think of impermanence, it's, it's such a shock to drive, I live near all of this, and it's such a shock to drive when we when we when we will drive back in there and see the what the fire how the fire has changed the landscape. And talking about impermanence, it, it takes so long sometimes for these things to grow in our in our lifespan, you know. But um, it'll be so different. It'll be so changed, and um, just seeing that visual impermanence of what the fires have done to the landscape is. Um, is quite a lesson, and that's all I wanted to say. Great, thank you. Please. I think one thing I got out of this um, group, I got many things, and thank you for uh, sharing, David, um, is when it comes to my time for passing on, I think uh, part of my training beforehand would be to accept the reality that anything can happen. And uh, as somebody said earlier, that wanting is uh, wanting the things that you want to have happen at your time of death is is a little bit futile. I mean, you can want all you want, but you don't you don't have a choice on what's going to happen. There are so many people in this world that have uh, did not get their wishes when they died. And for me, part of that training is um, realizing that it could be tragic. It could be horrible. It could be devastating, those last few moments or hours or seconds or days. But I, I guess we can't really fear them. We just got to realize that, or I have to realize that uh, that's part of the game, part of life, dying without choice, right? I'm, I'm aware of um, a couple of great practitioners Ram Dass and Frank Ostevsky, uh, they both had 
Uh, Ramdas had a stroke, a very terrible stroke, and Frank had a heart attack, and they both said their practice didn't help them. They were so um, shocked, undone by that situation, and they were horrified to find later that their practice hadn't helped. Years and years of profound practice. And both of their resolutions uh, were to practice harder, to strengthen their practice. And um, so on a minor level, I, I had an operation and I was shocked when I came out of the operation and I, and I was in terrible pain. It was like I was imprisoned with pain and I was just shocked and I didn't practice. And um, later reflecting on that, wow, I missed that opportunity. I missed that opportunity. So another situation came up in my life and I had terrible pain and I made sure to be aware just be aware of, you know, I don't have to be radiating joy and bliss, just kind of crumpled over in pain and during, but be aware. Don't, don't waste this experience. Don't waste it. So we can practice awareness. That's what we can do. Not for then, but for now. It will hold us in, it might hold us in good stead. Maybe not. Maybe so, but it certainly holds us in good stead right now. Practice awareness. Someone else? It does seem that um, this whole journey is one of letting go. You know, I mean, I think particularly as we're aging, um, that seems to be what's up <laughs> is um, a kind of a need to let go and how, how we go about it. Um, There's lots of practice. <laughs> I discovered um, I inherited my family's home up in Oregon. And uh, my parents died, I mean, a long time ago. It was the last parent died, uh, I think, 30-some years ago. And I had a big, you know, I did clean out the house and we had a big yard sale somebody else kind of uh, ran it. And then um, there were things that I really, that I thought I wanted 
<laughs> that I put in storage up there. And it's in Oregon, so it was like $12 a month. It wasn't that expensive. But I've only just now, in the, in the past year, I've decided to stop paying that storage fee. You know, it was kind of coming to grips with this, with this idea that I would, I don't have a place for this stuff and I never will. And in a way, I mean, there are some things I really um, kind of treasured, but, and apparently there, I mean, they're still sending me a bill quarterly. So apparently it's not too late, <laughs> but I it, it has been kind of a, um, I don't know, a metaphor for this, for <laughs> kind of everything that I'm going through now is it, it just feels like, you know, the grace I can bring to letting go is really helps me. <laughs> and that, that does seem to be my challenge right now. So that's what I would say. There's never an end. There's no end for the great opportunities to practice. It's such an adventure. Yeah. And I can't think of anything that even comes close in terms of being interesting. It's just the most interesting thing. And we let go and we let go and we have new insights and then we get clogged up again and then we have new... It's just, it's just a wonderful, one, wonderful adventure this world this journey of practice. Let's see, um, we're kind of close to the end. Um, Fiona, are you uh, up for doing a dedication of merit? <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. May we share our deepest intention for our own peace of mind and heart. May we nurture it in ourselves. May we share it with those we meet, with those we think about, with those beyond our thinking. May we have a boundless heart to allow our love to nurture, care, and hold all beings everywhere with kind regard. May it be so. May it be so. Well, thank you all for, for coming and, and sharing yourselves with each other and with us. So we'll see you uh, either in small groups soon or in a month. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, everybody. Yep. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Sweet.